HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Restaurants employ over 15 million people nationwide, and two-thirds of all restaurants are independently owned and not part of big chains. Yet currently, these small businesses are not represented in government relief negotiations. Roar is working to change that by fighting for relief opportunities for all restaurants. Roar is advocating for an eight-point plan in New York State that will allow restaurants to reopen and rehire when the time comes. Dozens of industry leaders have signed on to the plan, like Nam Wa Tea Parlor, Field Trip, Momofuku, and many more of your favorites. You can join them at change.org by searching for Roar, relief opportunities for all restaurants. Writing for the Washington Post, Atlanta restaurateur Hugh Atchison and former Opening Soon guest says, My governor here in Georgia, Brian Kemp, has proclaimed that many businesses that have been closed for weeks can reopen on Friday. No thank you. Atchison continues to say, I am confident that my restaurants will create a system of distanced hospitality with clear sanitation guidelines that can be viable in the next month, but to open so soon seems dreadfully irresponsible to my employees, my customers, and my own family. Last Tuesday, Governor Kemp of Georgia was the first of the states to issue reopening orders for some non-essential businesses. That includes restaurants as of Monday, April 27th, and I should note that today is April 28th. To the dismay of many local and national health officials, as COVID in cases in Georgia are actually continuing to climb. And despite this decree, many restaurants, while anxious to resume serving guests in their dining rooms, are not reopening their doors quite yet. So our guests today are Fred, John, and Stephanie Castellucci, the sibling trio that runs the Castellucci Hospitality Group in Atlanta, Georgia. They have six restaurants that include neighborhood favorites, such as the Iberian Pig, Bar Mercado, and Double Zero Pizza. CHG has been offering pickup and delivery from each of their restaurants since the stay-at-home orders on March 18th. And despite Governor Kemp's attempt to reopen the state, CHG, like many others in Atlanta, have decided it's not quite time. So, hi guys. Welcome to the show. How are you? Hello. Hey. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here. We're happy to have you. We were just reminiscing about sunnier days that we all had in Charleston, which was like <laughs> eight weeks ago at the Food and Wine Festival. And now, see, I think I've aged about like eight years in the past days. Easily, easily. <laughs> Um, so your governor said you can start business as usual, but you guys, like many others of your contemporaries in Atlanta have said, no, thanks. 
Um, can you tell us a little bit about that decision? And Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that we uh, made the decision pretty quickly after Kemp had released the order. I believe it was uh, a week and a half ago now. I mean, it's just it's so hard to even tell time these days uh, what's Last happening. <laughs> Everything's happening so fast. But uh, as soon as it was that evening uh, and then that next morning, we released a statement um, to our entire database of customers, staff, as well as social about our decision to keep our dining rooms closed and maintain our takeout and delivery operations uh, because we felt like it, it wasn't it wasn't the right time and it wasn't safe to do so um, and that the data didn't support it. And I will tell you, we got the most outpouring of love and support from our community customers and others than we've gotten for anything we've ever done in the history of our company. It was absolutely unbelievable to see just like the support that we got. And, uh, you know, it, it felt good to get that validation. And I think it also tells you uh, the kind of this, the state of, you know, the community and people and how they feel about it. And that, you know, we we're clearly not in the minority here that, not only do the do we not feel ready, but I don't think the customers feel ready uh, either. Um, so I think that's a Im important point to note. But in the time since we made that announcement, uh, you know, it's obviously kind of built into a bigger issue, uh, and you know, from a national perspective. Uh, and so since then, we kind of you know helped spearhead with a couple other restaurant groups, uh, really like a loose coalition of restaurants under the hashtag Georgia hospitality together to kind of unite under one kind of um, unifying kind of group. And uh, Hugh Atchison, who you mentioned is, is part of that group along with many, many others. And we actually yesterday or this morning, I should say um, a full page ad ran in the AJC uh, with all of us uh, and kind of our general overall kind of stance on, on what's going on. That's, it's certainly commendable and congratulations for you guys for, for doing the right thing in a, in a very difficult time. How has your staff responded? I'm sure that um, though you are employing some people for takeout and to go that you are that you do have other team members that are either furloughed or waiting this thing out. How has the reaction with them been? I'll let Stephanie and John take that one. Yeah, uh, yeah. very positive. Um, you know, our staff as a whole, and we we knew this a little bit going into it, but um, they weren't also ready for those changes. And so the team members that elected to, you know, stay on board in operations in the restaurant doing delivery and takeout, um, you know, that Monday when everything happened, the, um, the staff was too feeling very uncomfortable about the idea of opening that following week and, you know, the general consensus of just feeling too soon and um, not having the information um, or the data to support the decision to open on that following Monday. So, um, you know, I know by and large, a lot of the staff um, was very appreciative of um, us making that decision. Um, there are obviously always outliers and, you know, I know there's, um, you know, the financial piece of it to consider absolutely, but from a safety perspective, everyone was very appreciative of, of that decision. And in, in the kitchen, the, uh, you know, sorry, we've had like, we've been running, you know, obviously skeleton crews of 
you know, the people who feel comfortable coming to work and, you know, practicing all of the best, um, like sanitation policies. And, you know, in my head, I always imagined, you know, during the whole COVID, um, you know, that moment where we'd be like, oh, we can reopen. It would be this like elation, everyone like so happy, just start prepping their stations. Um, and when the news came in, they were like, we could open Monday, just the pure look of like fear almost on everyone's face. Like, wait, what? And it kind of, you know, it was interesting because in my head, you know, the way I had it played out was, you know, the whole thing ends and, you know, we start to reopen the restaurant and everything would be like this moment, um, of like happiness. And when the news came out, everyone was looking at me like, I hope you guys are not thinking about doing that. That's interesting. I think that, I think that, that idea has been tossed around so much about the end of this situation or that when it's over, um, I think those ideas are just, you know, you know, quickly, widely becoming understood that that's not the way this thing goes. It's going to be a very careful phase in and and uh, a long process until I think the elation will probably come when there's a vaccine and we can all jump out in the streets and celebrate. But um, yeah, exactly. you mentioned Stephanie about the um, the obvious financial you know concerns of employees that aren't working. Is is there has Governor Kemp's order changed how unemployment works in the state or? I mean, as we offer people back their jobs and, uh, you know, restaurants that are opening on, you know, this week are likely already, you know, doing this. But as you offer people back their job and they confirm or deny that, if they deny that, then, you know, in the state of Georgia, we are currently filing the unemployment claims for everyone on our team. Um, And so that then goes on to the employee to have to manage and figure out if if they can still get those unemployment funds. So um, there's certainly a financial piece to it, um, you know, on on our part and the and the team members' part. Um, but you know, we do have a number of team members that, for various reasons, um, which I didn't know about until all of this started. Um, started working and we started filing unemployment cl- unemployment claims and realizing the reasons why someone can't get unemployment outside of um, you know some obvious like citizenship citizenship pieces. There are a list of other reasons why someone might not be eligible for unemployment. Um, and so those team members that were not able to get it, um, you know, were certainly really needing that income and. Thankfully, we've been able to, you know, provide that uh, for those that really need it um, right now where they aren't getting the government support that um, they were hoping for. I'll also add to that, you know, from a general overall state of Georgia unemployment perspective, uh, I do know for a fact that one of the uh, factors that led to Kemp's decision to start opening the economy as early as he has is the fact that the unemployment fund is likely going to run out very quickly and that, you know, while the federal government can operate in massive deficits, the states uh, cannot do that or typically do not do that. And so I know that was a a major factor as you have millions of people filing for unemployment. uh, It certainly taxes the system. I will say, you know, as you compare the Georgia unemployment situation to the city like New York, um, Georgia looks like 
kind of like the best of the bunch. It's, it's, it's uh, amazing how like we've been able to actually get unemployment for most of our staff and it was able to be filed quickly and payments were made relatively quickly. Um, I was, I, you know, I'm honestly pretty surprised knowing how poorly governments tend to run that they were able to pull it <laughs> off as, as well as they did as fast as they did with, you know, half the staff they had from, you know, the, 2008 crisis. They had more people um, file for unemployment in the state of Georgia in a four-week period than the entire financial crisis like 13 years ago. And all from all that un- unemployment, they had half the staff to do it. So we talked a lot about, you know, the decision not to reopen. Um, what do you think your signals will be that it is safe to reopen given, you know, like the current state, just looking towards the future. Yeah, I think, about that? you know, we we're looking at the same thing that, you know, the public health officials are looking at. We're looking at the cases, the testing, the testing capability, mortality rates, et cetera. Uh, all those things factor into the decision, um, you know, and, and also public sentiment of when it's, you know, they're feeling comfortable to dine out in, in a dining room again, which is also a, a piece of this. But, you know, it's challenging because now every business owner is kind of expected to play the role of public health official in the state, which is causing for some challenges, as you might imagine. Are there yeah. restaurants around you that are open? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, there's, uh, you know, there's a number of uh, restaurant groups and chain restaurants that have opened over, you know, yesterday and today and, you know, are going to be opening uh, many of them this weekend into next week. So, uh, yeah, there's it's it's happening. Does it feel like there are patrons there? Or? I have not uh, gone near those businesses. But, uh, <laughs> I, will, I will. Uh, I, I, I might I might take a, you know, a drive around and see what's going on this weekend. I don't know. But it's, that'll uh, be when it gets pushed, right? Is when is when you're, you know, the restaurant next to you is open and and you're worried that your customers aren't going to come back, right? Exactly. Um, obviously, not for every restaurant, but for restaurants that compete in that style, whether it be a sandwich shop or whatnot, um, that's going to be a lot of pressure to have have on them. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it like you just mentioned. I mean, now the business owners are basically put to be the public health officials to determine. So do you guys, you know, I, do you feel like abandoned by your government officials and how are you sort of like mitigating that as the um, coalition that you set up in Georgia? Are you guys like sort of talking day to day? What does that, that look like to help determine, you know, when will be the right time and what your really guidelines are going to be? Yeah. I mean, that's certainly going to be quite a challenge, Um, you know, like getting any uh, restaurant, operator to do anything uh with another is always is, is going to be challenging so that becomes the the biggest challenge of this group that we put together um you know because we do recognize that the decision is up to the individual business owner uh and that is you know certainly uh everybody has to make their own calculation there but uh where i think the communication level is high right now which is great um so it's it's uh it's good to see that. And, you know, hopefully we can kind of agree on at, at the very least the earliest possible safe date um, that, you know, we can, we can, we can kind of like start venturing into the world of, you know, l- you know, not very many tables in our dining rooms, which uh, spoiler alert is not going to be super profitable. 
<laughs> right. I don't think there's any spoiler there. The, um, everybody talks about obviously the social distancing on the diner's perspective. How do you manage it on the employee's perspective, John? How do you how do you have your cooks safely distant in a kitchen that was never meant to have six feet in between each each line cook? Right. It's definitely you know definitely a challenge. I think we we don't have a lot of cooks right now in general. So it's, you know, really just the, the bare team we have. So our line is like a three man line set up. Um, so it kind of naturally has, I would say like four to five feet of spacing, but I'm sure, you know, like, you know, when you're coming behind the line, you're in the walk-in moving out, like, you know, you're moving around doing prep. Uh, it definitely, there's, there's not a possible way to do it effectively and operate a high volume restaurant. Um, unfortunately in the kitchen. Are there guidelines that have been passed down now that now that it's officially open from the Department of Health that tells you that people are wearing that need to wear gloves, that they need to wear masks, that they need to wear any you know additional protective gear? There is, I think, Stephanie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I mean, so our teams as we gear up to reopen um, are going to be in in masks um, and gloves. So, you know, we are in the process of putting together our training documents, which is also part of the reason why, you know, we need this time to be able to really amply prepare for that reopening. There's going to be so much change and, um, you know, so much, uh, so many moving parts that we really do need this time to be able to really prepare for that and make sure that, you know, staff that is coming back, um, that has been quarantined, that hasn't been in the building, is properly trained on all of our procedures because there are, you know, so many um, new pieces of the puzzle right now that we have to implement. And, um, you know, getting everyone on board with that, you know, albeit already a challenge, like we need that training time to be able to make that happen. So, you know, there are a lot of um, more so suggestions in those documents of what the state of Georgia feels like is a good idea. Um, there's not as much, you know, hard and fast information as we kind of hoped and anticipated for. Um, but, you know, we've, we've been, you know, running our restaurants for the last six weeks, you know, as if we're, you know, in, in a medical facility and, you know, we've been so, so strict about, our level of cleanliness and our standards and, you know, our expectations of our employees and, you know, not letting anybody in our building that's not our staff and the way in which we do our contactless curbside. You know, we've been super, um, super vigilant about that. And, you know, that's something that as we kind of open to the public, we need to make sure that, you know, we're just as, as, you know, careful about making sure that we're properly taking care of our staff and our guests. Yeah, I saw that Kemp issued like 39 guidelines for like reopening. And I was just, I was curious how actionable they all are and if there's like real cost associated with them that you're having to evaluate and work into the business model of now, you know, half empty dining rooms already not being profitable. Like how do you, you know, accommodate and pay for everybody being safe and still run a business that can actually survive? Yeah, I mean, we put together all of our, um, basically measurements in every single dining room and put together new floor plans and really laid out what that realistically looks like. Um, and, you know, those, those guidelines with the, you know, six feet apart, um, I, I understand are like totally necessary. And once you 
once you redo your floor plan, you know, in a restaurant that you had, you know, 35 tables in, you now have 15. Um, so, you know, there's, there's the obvious in that, you know, everyone wants to come out to dinner at the same time. That's a peak hour. You're not going to get the table turns, um, in general that you would, um, otherwise, and there probably won't be as many people dining out over, you know, the next month and a half to two months, regardless of that. Um, but it surely does, you know, take into effect, like how we, how we think about things and trying to utilize, you know, patio space and, um, you know, asking for some sort of forgiveness from our, um, from our landlords on like taking over, you know, parts of, for example, Decatur Square or in our West Midtown location, Cooks and Soldiers, you know, expanding our patio where there are maybe a business next to us that is um, is no longer operating. Maybe we can take over that street space and spread our tables out and get a few extra tables in um, while accommodating for the six foot rule. So um, just trying to wherever possible and, you know, to be creative about um, how we're able to serve our guests. I, mean, I think that's the only way you're going to be able to survive is to like be creative and yeah, exactly like what you're saying. I, you know, and I was curious too, now that, you know, the government has said in Georgia, it is, you, it, they are saying, go back to work. Like, how does that change what leverage you have to negotiate with your like vendors or your landlords or even your insurance company um, for any kind of relief? If like technically you're being told you should be operating, but you as the business owner rightfully don't feel like it's safe to put your staff in that position. Has anything come out like that? Yeah, certainly. I think that it's, um, you know, for, from a, each, each perspective is a little different. Insurance companies generally have denied claims, even if there was no virus exception. So, I don't expect insurance companies uh, to really help us. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, we are doing everything we can to try to reduce our uh, insurance expense or eliminate it altogether if it's not necessary, uh, since they provide a service that doesn't actually provide anything. So um, <laughs> I echo that too. I'm like, generally my feeling guess. on insurance <laughs> companies, they take your money, they invest it, they make money off your money, and then they never pay it back when you have I'll an incident. You can't so, have it. <laughs> um, so that business model is a fantastic business model, <laughs> taking people's money, investing it and never giving it back, um, is an awesome way to make money. Uh, so they figured out that you know, restaurants, we actually have to provide a service for people. Uh, so, you know, that's one aspect of it. The landlord aspect of it is different. And, you know, I think that what we're about to see over the next year to 18 months as this kind of works itself out is that there's basically going to be two people that will decide, you know, or two, you know, entities that will decide whether or not your restaurant can stay in business. And that is going to be your banks and landlords, um, because if they're not willing to work with you, then uh, it's unlikely you'll be able to survive this. Now, if they are willing to work with you and, and uh, believe in the long term you know, viability of your business, then uh, you know, we'll get through this together. But it really is a partnership at the end of the day um, with your landlords and banks and um, you know, hopefully you have a strong partnership there because it's going to determine, I think, whether you succeed or fail. That's a, that's a hundred percent true. We have a phone call with our landlord at four o'clock today. So wish us luck that <laughs> they believe in us. Absolutely. Same Absolutely. As, as everyone else. hundred percent true. Um, 
Jen? Yeah, I know the landlord thing. I'm like, it's our second of many calls. Go ahead, Al. Have you guys done, uh, I'm sure you have, but have you done financial modeling on um, on how how the operation works as a 15-table restaurant that used to be a 35-table restaurant? Is there a point um, in there where it just doesn't make sense to open? I mean, obviously, if you're losing money, um, then then does it make sense to continue running this business with with a realistic, you know, idea that this may not be over until a vaccine is, is resolved? Yeah, I mean, I think we, you know, I speak for our entire family here. We've been through tough times in the restaurant business. We understand what it's like to survive on next to nothing and, you know, run a seriously lean business. And, you know, we know what it's like to kind of live on that margin, um, you know, and I, we grew up like that and my dad's businesses. And, um, you know, I think that we all know what it takes to get through that. And, uh, you know, we know how to fight through it. And that's kind of why we're, I think, positioned to come through this, you know, well, is because we just, we know that, honestly, it sounds cheesy, but like where there's a will, there's a way. And you just have to keep on fighting and, you know, think of creative solutions to your problems. Uh, and, you know, at the end of the day, people are, you know, making like hyperbolic statements about, you know, restaurants never coming back and all this other stuff. But the fact of the matter is, is there's over 300 million people that live in this country that have to get fed every day. They have to do it to survive. And supermarkets cannot uh, possibly feed 100 million or 300 million plus people every single day, uh, even though they are, you know, temporarily feeding you know, more people than they were before. Uh, the supply chains just aren't there. And ultimately, people just get bored and, and don't want to do it anymore. So there is, there is still a massive amount of business out there for restaurants. Uh, it's just you have to be creative on getting your piece of the pie. And you guys have, yeah, and it's and I know Atlanta isn't technically or typically like necessarily a delivery and takeout kind of place. Every you know, there's lots of cars and people drive and they park and all these things and you go out to eat. Has that have you been successful with your delivery and takeout? Have your customers been coming for it? And how was that whole? I mean, we we kind of didn't have a choice. I mean, we just basically <laughs> said, look, this is what we're doing, and we're gonna keep all of our business open. Like every single one of our seven restaurants has been open every day since this started. And in fact, we we realized that if we were gonna be successful and keep our managers and ultimately more of our staff working, that we were gonna need to create a model that worked. And so that model is actually most of our restaurants were dinner only before, but now we're lunch and dinner seven days a week because we cannot afford to like let a dollar go. So, you know, if you want to uh, place a takeout order, like we are going to, we're going to sell it to you, you know? So like that was basically what we had to do. And then, you know, every single one of our, our chefs, you know, re-engineered the menu uh, in order to be more friendly for takeout and delivery. We've done, you know, pop-ups where, you know, restaurants that are, you know, like Cooks and Soldiers, more high-end fine dining. It doesn't really translate to, you know, uh, takeout and delivery. So we've run two pop-ups out of Cooks and Soldiers to try to generate a little bit more buzz and business over there. And so we're just trying to be scrappy and figure out ways to bring in any takeout dollar we can. And, and we've been pretty successful doing that. I'm not going to say, you know, we're doing great, but uh, we definitely have been able to carve out a, a business for us that is 
not necessarily sustainable in the long term, but at least it's enough to keep some of our staff employed and, and our vendors paid and, and things moving. Speaking, speaking of the vendors and, uh, and supply chain, are there, John, have there been difficulties with um, supply of, of food and different things to get into the restaurant? Or, and have you seen you know, farmers struggling that, that you source from or... Can you elaborate yeah, on that? there's definitely, um, you know, the supply chain right now is unique because you have some products that are, you know, in abundance so much that they're having to like kill 2 million chickens because, you know, there's not enough people buying them. And then you have, you know, pork right now is one of those where it's getting, you know, leaner and it's harder to find. And, you know, a lot of our specialty vendors are having a hard time getting their pro- their hands on product um, that normally we would have no problem finding. A lot of our imported Spanish goods um, right now are hard to find, like our charcuterie and cheeses. Uh, the inventory on that is really low. Um, a lot of our local farmers, though, are continuing to you know stop in um, with like their hawk rye turnips and the stuff that um, is coming into season right now. Um, so we've been just trying to support them um, and really just pick and choose like you know from our our menu and just creating new dishes. Um, that highlight the product that we do have. Um, and which is, you know, one of the benefits of, you know, this whole thing is it's really forced um, creativity to, you know, like there is no, you know, pretentious cooking right now. Like there is no, there's no tweezer food. People don't want that. They're looking for something that's super delicious. that's going to translate well that they can throw in their microwave uh, the next day and, and have it be, um, you know, a delicious meal. And I think, uh, that's really forced us to like re-engineer our, our menus, like Fred said, um, and come up with um, you know creative dishes and and run specials on things and make sandwiches out of a uh, product that we would never envision. Uh, you know, we did a, a wing special, for instance, on the Super Bowl, and I mean not Super Bowl for uh, the NFL draft. And I was like, all right, walking in, three mac and cheese and six orders of wings. And I was like, w- w- when in my entire life did I think I was ever going to make that call of like walking in six orders of wings? Uh, but it was just, you know, that's what we have to do right now is is we need to. Right, exactly. That's hilarious. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody who is, you know, figuring it out is finding themselves, you know, making things and doing things that they would have never have anticipated like when you if, you if you would have told us seven years ago when we were starting this company that one day we'd be churning out thousands of face masks i've been like you crazy right. like here we are <laughs> um yeah. but i totally hear you there has there what are you anticipating for like a re-education for the diners um after this so like you know obviously you've had to re-educate them about your offerings for delivery food and then now you're going to have to re-educate them what dining is going to look like in the future. How has it been during this and what are you guys? Well, I think the big, the big thing that we'll be doing uh, as we start to open our dining rooms is really uh, educate people from like the moment they walk up to the front door, which we'll actually be stationing someone outside the front door to kind of buffer people coming into the building uh, to keep most people outside and then kind of setting up like little stickers on the ground for people to stand at. And then once they do get inside the building, we're going to, we're designing kind of this one sheeter kind of 
FAQs, rules of engagement type situation that we're going to deliver to every every table and say essentially say, you know, this is this this is the new deal and this is how the dining room the dining experience is going to go. Uh, and there's some choices here, which ways you want to go, and uh, you know we can we kind of give them that information up front. Uh, unfortunately, I think you know the guests are going to be wanting for us to touch the tables less, have less guest interaction. Uh, so we're, you know, starting to design our model around that. Have you guys thought about how, I mean, a, a good part of the restaurant experience is um, the crowd, right? The the noise, the music, the, the vibe of a packed restaurant. Like how often do you pull into a restaurant with three cars in the parking lot and two people at a table and say, this place looks amazing, I'm going to stay here. Um, how do you, you know, how do you change, how do you fix that emotion that's going to come from a restaurant that's essentially half empty, um, by order of, of the state and of the, of the country, but how do you create that vibe and that culture in, in this post COVID era? Man, it is a sad (laughs) apocalyptic view of where we're headed, but it's just, uh, I just don't think people are going to want that. You know, I mean, yeah, just turn up the music and make sure the lights are bright. (laughs) But But dummies around. Yeah, exactly. I just, I don't know that people are going to be looking for that out of the the dining experience so much for a little while. But it is such an important part of what we do. That energy level drives the business in, in so many regards, not just from the guest experience, but to our staff and the energy we get from a busy night. You know, I was talking to my wife about that last night and I'm like, you know, when is the next time we're going to, you know, I'm going to come home from a busy night at the restaurant and like, you know, be so excited that the bar was three deep on each side or, you know, (laughs) like, and just the energy and excitement I get from that experience, you know, unfortunately I feel like we're just, man, we're so far away from that right now. Um, unfortunately, And, and, you know, barring any, major medical breakthrough unexpectedly, you know? Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. And it'll be a beautiful day and that much more special when we get there. Can't (laughs) wait. Um, On that note, um, looking to the future, you know, I think it's been awesome having you guys on. Thank you for sharing with us everything that's going on in Atlanta. Is there anything else you want like our listeners to know and be aware of and let us know where else they can find you for delivery and takeout in the interim? Yeah, our delivery options are available through all of our websites, all of our brands, you know, we're on Instagram, all that good stuff. Um, CHGRestaurants.com is where you can find all the brands and the online ordering sites. You know, we did design like six e-commerce takeout delivery stores in three days. So there is, uh, you know, some very slick offerings that you can see online. So (laughs) isn't it amazing how fast you can hustle when like, when you have to, it's like, holy crap. Um, the bar, yeah, the bar is definitely set higher now for the the future, but, um, thanks guys for being on the show. We really appreciate, uh, the, the look ahead to what, we may be looking at in other parts of the country. Um, and on that note, our, our next episode next week, I hope that everybody tunes in. We're going to be talking with um, two restaurants that are based in Hong Kong, and that might give us a little, even further glimpse into the future of uh, where we may be in the next month or in the next two months. 
So tune in for that one. You can catch us on uh, at We Are Opening Soon and at Tillit NYC. Uh, one more time, what's you guys, uh, a couple of your handles on uh, Instagram? I know you got a lot of them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. At Iberian Pig, at Cooks ATL, at Double Zero ATL, at Sugo, uh, at Bar Mercado, at Recess ATL. There's tons along those lines. Yeah. They're in there somewhere, yes. Um, and then remind me too, is the, is the coalition in Atlanta of the other restaurants, is that something that – um, people can follow for guidance or yeah certainly so uh the it's hashtag is uh georgia hospitality together uh and then there'll be some kind of more more things coming out uh via that shortly thanks guys awesome hey guys, thanks for having us out there. thank you so much of for course. your time and be well we'll talk to you soon Opening soon is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org, and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You could also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening. During this time, it's more important than ever to support our friends and neighbors in the restaurant industry. Restaurant Workers Community Foundation has set up a national COVID-19 crisis relief fund. The money they raise will provide direct relief to individual restaurant workers, support other nonprofits serving restaurant workers in crisis, and offer zero-interest loans for restaurants to get back up and running. Visit restaurantworkerscf.org to donate today. And if you need a little extra motivation, you can DM your $20 donation to RWCF's co-founder, John DeBerry, on Twitter, and he'll give you directions for making a signature quarantine cocktail. Donate now at restaurantworkerscf.org.